Well, we're past time, so probably should go ahead and get started. Everyone, a few anyway, seem to be a little bit on the slow side this morning. <clears throat> but we'll hope we can get going here in, in just a moment. We're going to be looking at uh, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 4 this morning. And as you see, if you got your handout that's back there, you can see we're calling this the glorious vision of redemption. Just as a a review of what we were looking at last week, let me just read this uh, this brief summary. Uh, remember, last week we were talking about the devastating uh, situation that Isaiah was facing in the uh, in the. the, the uh, in the decline of his society as, as he was living among his people in those days. And this, this particular author, just called simply the prophet Isaiah, uh, on this particular section that we were looking at last week, uh, summarizes what uh, is being said here by saying, reading Isaiah, especially in this section here, one cannot escape the impression that the prophet was not indulging in rhetoric, but that he was describing a real live situation, which he knew from personal experience and observation. Jerusalem was a city full of bribery and corruption, of organized crime, and of justice for a price. It was a place where collusion Collusion, a place where collusion between civic leaders and the criminal element was a frequent occurrence, where killers could be had for hire. It was a situation similar to that which uh, cities in many of our large cities today. Is it any wonder that Isaiah the prophet, the holy God of Israel, was outraged to the uttermost depths of his being? So that is what we were looking at last week, and afterwards, uh, one of the members of the class uh, uh, said to me, ah, it sounds pretty scary, and I think that's exactly what Isaiah was trying to do, trying to scare the people uh, to see the situation that they were really in. Well, now we come to a, a, a contrast to that in that we see here in chapter 4 a glorious vision of redemption, <clears throat> and uh, it is placed here to remind the people, yes, even though you may be in a very unfortunate situation, there is hope uh, that uh, you can be redeemed. Uh, this is probably the shortest chapter in the entire book of Isaiah. So let's go ahead and, re and read a chapter 4 of Isaiah. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, We will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. Now, most commentators uh, suggest that this uh, first verse of this chapter should go, go along with the previous chapter because uh, in the previous chapter, the closing verses of the previous chapter was a description of the arrogant women and the uh, costumes and the clothes that they were wearing to call attention to themselves. And then, beginning with verse 2 here, uh, we have a description of what is referred to as the branch of the Lord. 
In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion, over all those who assemble there, a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. Okay, we're calling this a glorious vision of redemption and because it does describe how the Lord will redeem his people at a, at a, some future time. Notice, it starts off with, in that day. There's that, uh, that phrase again, in that day. And it should be understood as the other references to in that day. This is a way of indicating what's going to take place sometime in the future. And uh, so far... You can, uh, on this first page here, we won't read down all, all through these, but I collected together uh, a number of statements that we've seen so far where Isaiah uses different terms and phrases to refer to what is going to take place, what has taken place, what is now taking place, and what will take place. The uh, past, present, and future <clears throat> of the uh, things that he's talking about. You see down here where... And they reference to, I reared children, they have rebelled. My people do not understand in the present. They, they have forsaken the Lord. Um, <clears throat> they persist in rebellion and so on. And um, as we noticed uh, in a previous lesson, that in the last days, in chapter 2, verse 1, <clears throat> uh, we talked about that and how that uh, that is understood uh, to be uh, as the New Testament understands that uh, things are taking place in their day was in the last days. Um, so <clears throat> in that day, and uh, several times so far already we've seen that phrase, in that day, in that day. So that's the phrase that is used here. And so we probably should understand that the phrase here is used in chapter 4 and verse 2 as um, being used the same way it has been used all the way through here in that day and and probably uh, should be understood uh, in the context of the uh, description of what was going to take place in the latter days that we saw saw in chapter 2 and um, how that we saw that uh, that's a designation of the messianic age that would take place uh, during the time of the uh, <clears throat> of the new testament days and continues on until this present day Okay, um, so this, uh, what he's describing here is, is uh, something going to take place sometime in the future from Isaiah's standpoint. <clears throat> so uh, we'll uh, look and see how he describes what is going to take place in, in uh, what he describes as in, in that day. <clears throat> yes. Yes, Jeff. Yes. Like that. Was yes. Does it seem to have all been written at one point? 
No, no. It is believed that the, what we have in Isaiah is a collection of his messages over a period of time. In fact, we'll have references to uh, uh, some of the uh, historical events that took place that took place at different times in the history of Israel at, at this time. So, <clears throat> so this is not simply Isaiah sitting down one evening saying, I'm going to write, write a, a, a collection of my uh, sermons, my messages, and sit down and write the whole book of Isaiah at one time. No, it's written over a period of time, yes. Yes, uh huh. Yeah. Uh, the expression in that day uh, perhaps is referring to the same time all the way through here, which should be understood in terms of in the latter days, as we saw in chapter 2. And uh, looked to see how, how that is to be understood. Uh, that in the last days, chapter 2, verse 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple, and so forth. And how that we. Uh, saw how that that is being understood as the establishment of the church on the day of Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem shall go forth the word of the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> it's understood by the writers of the New Testament as they were living in the latter days or in the last days. So this is <clears throat> this is probably referring to that same period of time that in the latter day or in that day, the branch of the Lord. Now, the question is, what is this branch of the Lord? What, what does that have reference to? So we need to look at that a little bit to see what that is referring to. The branch of the Lord, it becomes a somewhat of a uh, common expression to refer to a certain individual. Um, <clears throat> First of all, uh, let's uh, kind of notice how this particular section of Isaiah fits into the uh, into the structure of the book so far that we have, we have seen, and I have a few comments about that on this uh, second page, <clears throat> where uh, <clears throat> uh, the um, <clears throat> that the, this somewhat kind of completes a cycle that began in chapter two. We're to, where we see the description of what is going to take place in the latter days. And we, how we saw in chapter 2 how Isaiah presents a vision of the ideal Jerusalem. And then he moved on to a description of the actual or the real Jerusalem of his day. And then now to the redeemed Jerusalem that we see here in chapter 4. So chapters 2 through 4 kind of serve as a preview of the rest of the book because we're going to see in the rest of the book uh, <clears throat> as much time as we have uh, to look at it. We can see how that this theme, this idea of um, the, uh, <clears throat> the ideal Jerusalem being described in various ways and then how Isaiah is reacting to the real Jerusalem of his own day, the actual Jerusalem, and then uh, now and then he'll also refer to what is going to take place in, in some time in the future as the redeemed Jerusalem. So, uh, so we see here the ideal, the reality, and the redemption of the people. God is working out his eternal purpose uh, in, in these events that are taking place. So in that day always refers to the time indicated by the context. And in, in this particular context, 
in, in view of, the, uh, of chapter 2, the description of uh, in the latter days, in the last days, it would seem to suggest uh, that it's referring to the same period of time that is described there. <clears throat> so in, in that day, here in chapter 4 is to be understood as the latter days when judgment will have been completed and Jerusalem is redeemed. And so we have here a glorious vision of uh, the redeemed people of Israel. So what is this branch of the Lord that he mentions here in verse 2? In that day, the branch of the Lord. Unusual uh, phrase that is used here, but is is found several times uh, in the uh, the Old Testament. <clears throat> Uh, there are four passages in the Old Testament that uh, is important to keep in mind when we're considering this description of the branch of the Lord. Two of them found in the next book in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah, and two of them found in the uh, book of Zechariah. We can look at these uh, four passages that help us to understand more what is understood by the phrase, the branch in that day, the branch of the Lord. The, Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6 says, Days are coming. You see, there's another time indication, a phrase that is used to indicate something's going to take place in the future. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Now, just from that one statement from Jeremiah kind of gives us a clue and an idea of what is meant by the branch of the Lord. Then also in Jeremiah 33, in those days and that time, here again, see, in those days, the time indication here, and at that time I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. And then two, um, uh, two passages in Zechariah, Zechariah 3. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you. You are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. My servant, the branch. Here, the Lord's servant is identified as the branch. And then also in chapter 6 of that book, here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. And he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne. Here the offices of king and priest are combined. You can see, you see how the term king and priest are combined here. So all of these would seem to indicate that what he's referring to is the Messiah. The coming Messiah. So, so this is perhaps the, the first Real clear reference to the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. And uh, uh, th throughout the entire book of Isaiah will be a number of passages that could be understood as being messianic in, in nature. So he's describing what is going to take place in that day uh, by the activities of the Messiah. Um, 
So all, all these uh, branch prophecies that uh, we've uh, alluded to here in Jeremiah and Zechariah and now here in, in uh, Isaiah uh, have a real strong messianic content, uh, content in them. In fact, this is how it was understood by the Jews themselves. They understood that this reference to a branch was referring to a, to a Messiah. Um, the early, earliest Jewish commentators always interpreted the, the term branch as a reference to, to the Messiah. In fact, um, uh, the Jewish prayer books are filled with references to the Messiah who is called the Branch of David. Now notice how Isaiah goes on and says that uh, uh, that this branch. So when he's talking about the branch, talking about the Messiah, the Messiah of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of uh, the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of, of Israel. <clears throat> True beauty and glory are to be found in the Messiah, not in the women's clothing, uh, the finery of the women that we uh, noticed briefly in chapter 3. You can glance back through there and see how that uh, Isaiah describes the haughty women of his day, how they prayed about in their finery and in in their clothes. But true beauty is to be found in the Lord. The land will the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. In in that day, that's when the Messiah comes and establishes His kingdom. That's where true beauty and glory is to be found. Here's a quotation from Homer Haley. We've mentioned him several times. Who has written a oh one of the better commentaries on the Book of Isaiah, where he said, "I have this quotation here from him." It seems out of context to interpret this this, uh, um, reference here to the branch of the Lord in any other way than as a spiritual fruit, the fruit of the land referred to here. Now, sometimes uh, commentators will suggest that this is referring to a day when Israel restored to its land and the land will become productive and the land will become beautiful. But... uh, he suggests that it is not to be understood in a physical way like this, but it is to be understood in a spiritual way. He's referring to the spiritual fruit, and this is how he goes on to describe what this spiritual fruit is. We have seen that the mountain of the, of the Lord and Zion, Jerusalem, are actually the spiritual kingdom under the Messiah. And the branch is the Messiah who will come to Zion in latter days. So why should not the fruit of the land The mountain to which the people will come be of a spiritual nature also. Jeremiah said that the branch will execute justice and righteousness in the land. Hence, the fruit of the land will be the spiritual fruit of those who submit to his rule of righteousness. This fruit will be for them that are escaped of Israel, that is, the remnant. So here we have an indirect, where he says here, the survivors of Israel at the end of verse 2, and those who are left in Zion is a reference to the survivors in terms of the remnant. And Isaiah has some things to say about the remnant that's going to survive. They won't all be destroyed and taken into captivity, but there will be some who will survive. 
And uh, these are referred to as the remnant. So verses 3 and 4, then the remnant that is mentioned here. And here is one of those passages that uh, we can find referred to in the New Testament, as Paul does in Romans chapter 11 and verse 5, where he says, So too at the present time, now Paul is talking about his own time in his day, he said, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And, of course, Paul is talking about uh, uh, God's people, uh, the church, uh, who formed the remnant of, uh, of God's people. And he identifies the remnant as a, a, the church of the Messianic age. <clears throat> and notice here that the primary emphasis here is on the word holy. <clears throat> In the old city of Jerusalem, in the old uh, uh, city, the, the old economy of that time, the emphasis was on rank. As we, uh, a couple of verses um, in chapter 3, where reference is made to the different positions that people held in the government of that day. But in the new Jerusalem, it will be on holiness of life not upon a particular rank that you hold, set apart and consecrated unto God. And these people are recorded in God's book of life, the book of life in which the names of the saved are are recorded. The filth will be washed away, uh, Isaiah says, the bloodstains cleansed by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Both the filth of the women and the blood shed by the nobility must be purged. And that's what is being referred to here when he talks about, about uh, those who are left in Zion, will remain Jerusalem, will be called holy. They will be made holy. Uh, and they will be washed. They will be cleansed. Uh, and, uh, and all the blood stain will be removed from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment, and a spirit of fire. You can see how that can apply to what Jesus was able to accomplish in his mission as the Messiah. And then we have this beautiful description of how God protects his people, protects those who remain, protects those who survived, protects the remnants. Like God's protection and guidance during the exit from Egypt and the wandering. See here the reference to the, the cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Does that remind you of what took place during the, during the exodus, how God led the people out of, the, out of exodus, out of the exodus out of Egypt and how that the, he led them by a cloud of fire, a cloud during the day and the uh, and a uh, fire by night. And this is how he is going to protect his people uh, during the latter days, in that day, in, in the days of the Messiah. This is a promise of God's protection over his people. <clears throat> um, this this uh, then presents to us uh, a, a great promise of God's protection uh, over his people during, during these days. Um, notice the word create that is used here. 
And this word create is the very same word that is used in Genesis for the creation of the heaven and earth. It is the Hebrew word bara. So this is a new creation. This word bara is never used of any kind of creation that man might create, but is always used in regard to God's creation. And so we have here reference to... uh, the new creation that will be further developed and described later on in the book of, book of Isaiah. Uh, as, as you see a reference here in chapter 65, you have a, a reference to the new heavens and new earth and new Jerusalem. And here is how Haley describes uh, this, uh, this period of time when God will create a new heavens and a new earth. <clears throat> Where he says at the bottom of page three, a uh, quotation from Haley. <clears throat> the latter days have come. The mountain of Jehovah's house has been established above the hills, and all nations have been flowing into it for nearly two millennia. God judges as he translates the saved into the kingdom of his son. Zion's wickedness and fruits of her idolatry have been judged by Jehovah and purged and cleansed by a fire from his presence. And the beautiful branch has appeared, bringing glory to the city of spiritual Jerusalem. It is the only kingdom on earth sustained and extended by a spiritual rather than a physical sword. It is the only place where true peace can be found. So there we have a glorious description uh, of... uh, Redemption, as uh, Isaiah sees in a vision of this uh, restoration of the people of Israel at the time that is going to take place uh, in the last days or in that day when the branch of the Lord uh, will appear and uh, will bring about all these gl- uh, blessings that is, that is presented here. Okay, that's that's uh, the shortest. Pro- uh, I think it's the shortest chapter in the entire book book of. Uh, of Isaiah here in chapter 4, just, just these six verses here. <clears throat> and uh, the idea is to contrast this vision um, of the new Jerusalem with the old uh, uh, vision that he's presenting in, uh, <clears throat> in the city of his own day, the reality that he sees around him, the real Jerusalem, in contrast to the ideal Jerusalem that will come uh, in the days of the Messiah and uh, when the branch of the Lord uh, uh, will be beautiful and glorious. Okay, that uh, pretty well summarizes what is found here in chapter 4 of Isaiah. Uh, Before we uh, go on from that that chapter, any observation or comment or question about uh, what is... Being presented to us here in chapter 4. Yes, Chuck? The terms uh, Messiah and Christ, are those Old Testament or are they intertestament? Or, because I, I don't find those specific terms. The word Messiah comes directly from the original Greek, uh, the original Hebrew word Mashiach. Mashiach uh, means simply to... Um, uh, to anoint, 
And the word Mashiach or Messiah is used for a number of different uh, individuals. In fact, we'll see how Isaiah uses that term Mashiach to refer to other individuals who are selected and anointed for a specific purpose. In fact, Cyrus, uh, who is going to be mentioned uh, later on as the one who's going to allow the people to return from their captivity, from their Babylonian captivity, he is referred to as the Lord's Mashiach. That is his anointed one to bring about his, uh, <clears throat> his purposes in allowing the people to return from their Babylonian captivity. So Cyrus is called the Messiah in a sense. Uh, and now, now the Greek word Christ is, uh, is the Greek word Christos, which is a translation of Mashiach. So the word Mashiach... Christ, Messiah, all mean the same thing. So you might say that Cyrus was God's Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, he was his Messiah in the Old Testament. He was his anointed one for, ta- for uh, fulfilling his purposes as he works through uh, this individual that he has uh, called and anointed to carry about his, his purposes. So, yeah, yeah, the word Christ does appear in the Old Testament in the form of Mashiach, which is Messiah. So, in fact, if you go to a Greek translation of the Old Testament, you, you know, know the Septuagint, Septuagint, the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, it uses the word Christos in these passages where, where it says, uh, it talks about the Mashiach or the Messiah. <clears throat> So the, these are just the original terms that are used to refer. They all, all mean the same thing, and they all refer to the same thing. But in a very special sense, of course, it's referring to God's special anointed one, God's special Messiah, God's special Christ that we see fulfilled in the Messiah in the New Testament, where the writers of the New Testament say this has taken place in order to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet so-and-so. So the New Testament understands that in Christ, these uh, prophecies of a deliverer who is identified as the Messiah is uh, fulfilled in, in uh, Jesus Christ uh, as it presented to us in, in the New Testament. Okay, yes, uh, Steve. Well, the Jews themselves very early started thinking of one special Messiah. And they they look forward to the day when God will bring his Messiah into the world to reestablish Israel as his people. So very early on, it came to be used to refer to the, the one individual that is one's God's special anointed one, one's special Messiah. One special Christ, uh, who even to this day they look forward to the coming of the Messiah to establish Israel uh, in the world, as uh, as they understand the these prophecies are referring to. So yes, very early on it started to be used to refer to a special uh, individual as God's special Messiah. No. No, they uh, they 
they had an idea of the Messiah as being uh, um, a new king of Israel, the new David, the new David, be a king like unto David. And they they uh, expect, of course, it, uh, I'm sure you're aware that there are different, different areas of Jewish thought uh, today. You have um, traditional Judaism, you have Reformed Judaism, and so forth. So it depends on what type of Judaism you're talking about. But, but the uh, customary, the, the uh, traditional, uh, the Orthodox Judaism do think of... Uh, of one individual who's going to come and establish Israel in the land of Israel. And, and of course, many Christians today have a view of, of the establishment of Israel in the land, land of Israel sometime in the future when the, the Lord is going to establish his kingdom here on earth and that the Messiah will reign in the city of Jerusalem. So... Uh, that uh, and that's uh, somewhat well. Of course, we under, uh, we uh, identify that particular view as the the millennial view of, of the uh, of the kingdom of God, and the premillennial idea, and so on. That uh, this is uh, the time when God is going to allow His Messiah to return to this earth and establish His kingdom on this earth. Uh, so the Jews, the Jews still have. A concept of of a Messiah that's going to come sometime in the future and uh, and establish uh, their uh, their kingdom again as a, as a, like the kingdom of David. And David's king. Yes, uh, saw another hand back here. Okay, okay. Um, yes, yes, they were expecting. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Uh, through, mm-hmm. And through uh, through their writings and. Oh yeah, Yeah, they, when he came the first time, when he came, when he really came, they didn't recognize him. Didn't recognize so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have created 
carpentry over there is, is broken that, we were trying to make sure it was set up properly so that God could do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, trying trying to help God in, in his his plans. He doesn't need any, any of our help. He'll do it when he when he uh, when he sees that it's time to do it, he'll do it. And as I've uh, always said, that uh, <clears throat> things are going to uh, take place according to God's plan, and there's nothing we can do to prevent it from happening, and there's nothing we can do to force it to happen. That, uh, and I apply this to the situation of uh, uh, <clears throat> of climate change or global warming, however you want to call it. That there's nothing we can do as humans to bring an end to the earth. There will come a time when the earth will come to an end, but there's nothing we can do to bring it about if it is not according to God's plan to bring the earth to an end. And there's um, nothing we can do to prevent it from happening when it is time for the earth to come to an end in God's plan. When he decides it's time to end the earth, he'll end it, and there's nothing we can do to prevent it. So uh, how far man's activities can cause these things to take place, maybe they can cause certain changes that can take place on the earth, but to be the cause for the end of the earth, not uh, not according to God's plan. God has his own plan when he wants to end the earth, and there's nothing humans can do to bring it about or to prevent it from happening. Okay, the next chapter, chapter 5, we're going to look at uh, this uh, section here called the Song of the Vineyard. Uh, And uh, the Song of the Vineyard is a a very picturesque description of uh, God's vineyard. And we'll we'll be looking at at that next next time. So uh, it's uh, just right about right up at time to close for this morning. So let's go ahead and close with a, a word of prayer. We're thankful, our Father, that we've had this time to come here this morning and to give our attention to the study of your word, and we're thankful that you have left us with your message in your holy word, and we pray that we will honor and respect your word as and acknowledge it as you speaking to us through your word. We ask your presence to be with us as we... As we assemble to worship this morning, and may our worship be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, let's see. Next Sunday is going to be our our Sunday of day of praise and thanksgiving. And uh, the arrangements in here are going to be a little bit different. So uh, uh, when you come next week, uh, don't expect to see all these chairs, chairs here lined up like this. You'll be sitting at tables. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>